Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams begins a new series entitled Proof Mark. Whenever a gun is manufactured, it has a proof mark stamped onto it, which shows where and when it was made, therefore authenticating it. In this series, Brandon examines some of the prophecies in the Old Testament, which are proof marks of Jesus. Listen as he explains why we can be confident in Christ. Good morning. How's everybody today? Everybody awake? Ready to go? Let's go. It's going to be fun. You guys have got to be participating today. I don't want to just talk all the time. You guys talk back to me, okay? Um, we're going to have a good time. We're going to start a new series in just a, a few minutes called Proof Mark. I'll explain that whole thing to you. But um, first of all, what we want to do is we want to celebrate something with you. Many of you went out to the Ogeechee River with us the other day and, and saw where we were able to baptize 25 people who are professing their faith. Who... We're professing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And today we're going to celebrate that again. We want to give you an opportunity, if you weren't able to make it, an opportunity to see this video of those baptisms. So check this out. This is awesome. Yeah, that was awesome, man. We had such an awesome time celebrating um, these people making a public profession of their faith. And just um, being a part of that was absolutely incredible. Um, And I hope next time we do it, man, we'll have even more people out there, not just being baptized, but also out to celebrate with them. We had like the whole bank of the river filled up. It was really awesome. And so um, we'll be doing that again this summer before too too much longer, um, giving an opportunity for more people to be baptized as we're praying for folks to come to know Christ. This is my prayer, that by the end of 2011, we will have baptized over 100 people. That's my prayer. And I'm going to ask you to be praying with me. That's something that only God can do. But I believe that, that Jesus, um, he, he reigns. He's alive. We're just saying that he, he has the victory. He's given us victory. And we're going to continue to tell people about the opportunity to have victory in Jesus. And so I'm just praying that, that we would baptize over 100 people in this next year um, before the end of 2011. Today we're going to begin this new series called Proof Mark. And, and if you've been around very long, you've probably heard me talk a little bit about um, my love for the History Channel. Yeah, y'all heard that before, right? Especially one particular show, which is called Pawn Stars. P-A-W-N, Pawn Stars. And, and one of the things, it's very educational, actually. They bring in all of these old things, and they, they sell them, and they're never worth what the people think they're worth, or at least they never pay what they think they're worth. And so they come in, and one of the things that is brought in all the time are, are guns, these really old guns. And one of the things that I learned by watching this show is that they will take that gun and on every gun there is a stamp. And the stamp on the gun, on the barrel of the gun, is known as a proof mark. And what that does is it actually authenticates the gun. It it tells them where it was made. It tells them when it was made. It tells them who made it. It tells them what what country, everything about that gun. And it helps them to authenticate that gun and, and, and it proves that it's real. Now here's the one thing I know about our faith. That it, it, it is faith, right? That, that it comes by, by the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is. But the other thing that I know is that the Bible is full of proof marks. It's full of things that, that point to Christ. Every word written, written in this book is, is there so that it points us to the reality of who Jesus is. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through the scripture and pulling out some of these proof marks. This week, the thing that we want to look at is prophecy. Right? Prophecy. Um, I was doing some studying on this. I went back and read uh, part of a book that I read uh, several years ago called The Case for Christ. Anybody read that? Lee Strobel? Yeah, it's an awesome book. If you want to learn more about this type of stuff, go read that book. It's really incredible about a man 
uh, who didn't believe. He went to try to disprove Christianity, ended up convincing himself that it was the truth. Um, great book. I, I'd highly encourage you to read it. But one of the things that he said in that book is that the probability of Jesus fulfilling only eight prophecies, and the Bible is full of, of major and minor prophecies, the probability of him only fulfilling eight, eight, was like 100 million billion. I'm like, I don't even, I can't even fathom that. That sounds like something my kids would make up. That, all right, it's like 100 gazillion, trillion, billion, C. I, I don't even know what that looks like. I mean, John tried to put it on the screen. All those zeros, I mean, you, that's, that's mind-boggling. The other thing he said is that the probability of Jesus not being who he says he is and having fulfilled all of the prophecies that he fulfilled, um, or just fulfilling eight of them actually, would be the same probability of us taking silver dollars, stacking them two foot high across the state of Texas. Texas is a big old state. Stacking them two foot high across the state of Texas, coloring one of them red, blindfolding someone, and having them walk out into the state of Texas, bend down and pick up the red silver dollar. That's pretty nuts, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, when you look at it like that, it's like, duh, how could I not believe? And so for us today to sit here and go through every prophecy of Christ that is in Scripture, that's in the Old Testament, that, that Jesus fulfilled, it would take us until Jesus comes back, right? Which didn't happen yesterday, obviously. Right? I mean, everybody's like, oh, God. people were actually nervous about this. I'm like, this dude's track record's not even good. And besides that, the Bible says we won't know the day. So I'm like, just chill. My niece was flipping out. She's like, what's going to happen? I was like, I'm going to preach on Sunday. That's what's going to happen. It's like I wasn't sitting at home going, well, I don't need to prepare a message this week. You know? Uh, but we're here, and we're going to look at four major prophecies. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to go through four of these today, and I want to point out some things to you. And, and just think about this, how many of them are in there. I mean, we're only going to look at four, but you can go back and begin to study this and look at all these things. The most difficult part of this message was figuring out, which ones am I going to talk about? Because there are, there are so many, and they're so amazing when you begin to look at what all Jesus actually did fulfill. So Genesis 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump in. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, giving us life. Thank you for giving us victory. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that every word in this book, God, points us to Jesus, the reality. Father, my prayer is today that people's eyes would be open to the reality of who Jesus is and that, God, for those who know him, they would be drawn closer to him. They would gain confidence in him. And, God, we would begin to share our faith and, and bring people to you like never before. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you guys have ever, guys, like guys, um, how many of you have ever done anything really stupid because you were in hot pursuit of a girl? Uh, I know you've done like stupid stuff, but come on, you've done some, like you've never done something stupid. Hold them up. Girls, look around. Guys go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when they fall in love, don't they? They do some stupid stuff. And, and I was no different. In high school, man, when I started pursuing Susan and, and I was going after her, man, my 
my stupidity, my, my craziness for her knew no bounds. And, you know, I remember like one of our anniversaries, I actually went and rented the movie that we watched on our first date. And, and, and I got her this little plaque and it said, you know, take my hand, I'll help you stand and we'll walk together. And, and I did all this stuff and it was like really, and I'm not really a romantic type guy, right? Um, we watched these movies and she's like, oh, and she's getting all teary. I'm like, what's wrong with you, woman? You know, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And, 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 you know, and there was no bounds because I was in hot pursuit of her. I wanted her no matter what, no matter how stupid I looked, no matter what my friend said, I wanted her to be mine. It went so far as I actually cross-stitched something for her. And guys, don't y'all judge me because y'all done some stupid stuff too. I actually, can you sit down and cross-stitch something for her? I don't know why she didn't run, but she didn't. And before you laugh at me too much, I got her, right? So it worked. But I actually did because, man, you know, and I don't even think I fathomed what love was, but there was something about her that I had to have. And as we read these verses in in Genesis chapter 3, one of the things that we're going to see very quickly is that God was not going to stop at anything to have that relationship with us. And many times we look at the things that God did and the things that God does to get our attention and to bring us closer to Him, and we go, that's crazy. It doesn't even make sense. Why would He do that? And yet when we look at Genesis chapter 3, we begin to see that God would stop at nothing to pursue us. The first thing we see in here, though, listen, verses 1 through 3, is we see human nature. The typical human nature. Because we always want the one thing that what? We can't have. Right? How many girls ever played hard to get? Come on, girls. Ever played hard to get? Man, that is dirty. That is a dirty game. You ought not do that. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and, and he like fell head over heels. I won't tell you his, his name, but his initials are Sean Fox. And, and so I was talking with him this week, and, and he said that when he began to really pursue Bethany in college, and he was like, man, I just knew. He's like, I, at least he was honest. He was like, I knew I was over my head. He's like, I was over my head. And she was the one on the video, so if you've seen, he was the one playing the drums. He was over his head, right? And he's like, but I just, I had to have her. I, I just had to pursue her. I had to go after her. And he's like, wanted, it, wanted her so bad. And so he went and he said like, um, after their second date or something, they're sitting there watching a movie. And he said, they're sitting there and everything was going good. And so he's like, I think I'll try to get me a little peck on, on, on the cheek or something. And so he leans over, he's like, and she looks at him like, and he's like, too soon? She said, yeah. And he, and he goes, okay, um, I'll see you later. And he gets up and, and he leaves, you know. And it's so funny, though, just to, just to think about that, those kind of things because we all did them. We all do stuff like that. And he was, he was wanting that thing so badly. And our human nature is, man, when we see something we want, we go after it. It was no different with them. They wanted the one thing they couldn't have. And, and, and they went after it. They did exactly what God told them not to do. They began to go And God gives us so much. He gives us everything. And yet we oftentimes sell out for the one thing that that we know we shouldn't have. And and I believe it comes down to us trusting God. Do we really believe that God has our best in mind, that he'll give us every good thing that we need? That is our God who, who knows what's best. And so we need to begin to see that. Listen to these verses. I'm going to read 3 verse 5. It says, But the serpent said to the woman, 
You will not surely die. Listen to this. This is the craziest thing. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know, that's so funny to me because he almost puts it like this. Like God's intimidated by you becoming like him. Isn't that crazy? Do you ever think God ever like looked at one of us and goes, oh my gosh, I sure hope they don't take over. Dang. No. And here's the thing I want you to understand today about you and about your situation and about the sin in your life and about the mistakes you've made. God is not intimidated. God's not intimidated. God is not up there biting his fingernails trying to figure out what he's going to do for you. He's already done it. He's had a plan since the beginning of time. Long before we were ever created, God knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that he would have to send his son for us. God's not intimidated by our situation, by our sin, by, our, by, by us. God's got it under control. And we need to begin to trust him. We've got to begin to realize that, listen to this, beginning back there in verse uh, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her. And he ate, darn woman. Then the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew that they were naked. I always like to have seen that, right? They're like, oh, wow. I, pfft, when did that happen? And they saw fig leaves. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord coming, God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Here's the thing that I see so many times. So many times in, in church, so many times with Christians, so many times in people in general. We've confused who the enemy is. We've confused the enemy. Here Adam and Eve are, they've, they've realized, man, we have made a big boo-boo, right? We have made a big-time mistake, and what do they do? They go hide from God. But the thing we've got to realize, people, and we, it's so hard for us to get this through our head, God is not the enemy. God is for us. That's why he sent his son to die for us. God is not the enemy. He is calling us to himself. His desire is to deliver us. His desire is to heal us. His desire is for us to spend eternity with him forever and forever and, and, and forever. That's eternity. And that's his desire. His desire is not against us. It is for us. And here we are so many times like Adam and Eve where we run and we hide instead of coming to him. And listen to this. This is so cool. He said... Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. How many, how many of us are blaming things on our wives? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, and listen to this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, listen, that is the first prophecy of Jesus. The first prophecy. Isn't it awesome that in the middle of sin, 
in the middle of perfection being ruined, that in Genesis 3.15, God goes, I got this. I got this. I'm going to send one. It'll be the seed of this woman. And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. The first prophecy in scripture is Genesis 3.15. And the thing we need to realize about it is this. It is the proclamation and declaration of God's judgment upon Satan. Isn't that awesome? Adam and Eve sinned. They screwed up. And who did God address first? Satan. He comes in and he's like, Listen, dude, you might have got a shot in, but I have the victory. We just sang it. I've got the victory. And he says, there's going to be one that comes, and he's going to crush the head of Satan. He says, Satan, your days are numbered. Because ultimately, I win. Ultimately, no matter what it takes, no matter what I have to do, I am going to be in relationship with my creation. My creation will be restored. It will be recreated. So that I can have fellowship with them. Isn't it awesome to know we don't have a God that just gave up on us? How many of you, if you're like me, he should have gave up on you a long time. Aren't you glad he's patient? Aren't you glad that, that he perseveres? Aren't you glad he just didn't throw in the towel and was like, oh well, we're done. Oh well. No. God was patient. Even in the middle of the first sin, he comes and he begins to tell us. He begins to tell us, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to send one that will crush the head of, the, of Satan, of the serpent. Have you ever seen the Passion of the Christ? Remember the first scene when, when the snake's crawling through there and he's about to crawl up Jesus' leg and, and we're all freaking out and it's like he's God, right? What, what's the snake going to do to God? And then all of a sudden he steps on the snake's head and he kills it. That's fulfilling that prophecy. That in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, I'm going to the cross. And he even asked the Father, God, if, 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 you don't want, if, you, if you can do this another way, let's do it. But he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross. And in the, on the cross, he crushed, the Satan's, he crushed Satan's head. And he won the victory forever. Listen to this. Turn to Genesis 22. We'll go to the second one. Genesis chapter 22. Isn't it amazing that in the first three verses, or three chapters of Scripture, we already see God at work and God prophesying about his son. We're going to walk through Genesis chapter 22. Most of you probably heard about Abraham and about Isaac. And I wanted to show you a few things in here that parallel to what Jesus did for us on the cross, that parallel um, um, so many different ways to what Christ did for us and the things that he fulfilled out of these scriptures. It's such a, an amazing foreshadowing of these things. Listen to this, chapter 22 of Genesis, verse 1. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Let's just stop right there. A few things out of chapter, or verse 2 in chapter 22 right there. Isaac was Abraham's only son. Isaac was loved by his father. You remember that? Jesus was baptized. He comes up out of the water and he said, and, and God said, what? This is my son whom I love. 
Um, Isaac was a son of promise. Jesus was a son of promise, just like we saw in Genesis chapter 3, 15. He promised that one would come, that he would crush the head of the serpent. Um, so Jesus was a son of promise, just like Isaac. The sacrifice of Isaac appeared to contradict human logic. So did the death of the Messiah. Think about how the, the disciples were freaking out, man. Whenever Jesus said, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die. I mean, he even called Peter Satan because Peter tried to keep him from doing it. It didn't make sense. And Peter was so confused. One minute he's the rock, the next minute he's Satan. He's like, which one am I? But Jesus knew he had to go to the cross. And so it contradicted common sense. It just did not make sense. Listen to uh, 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And listen to this. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. One thing that can be easy to miss in Exodus 19, one of the things that we see is that the Jews would take two days to prepare for a special encounter with God. And and so on the third day, there was an incredible encounter with God. Jesus was put in a tomb. On the third day, there was an incredible encounter with God. There was an incredible move with God where people began to be able to encounter God in a way they never had before because Jesus overcame death and the cross. Verse Five. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the word of the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. Let me ask you this. At what point do you think it dawned on Isaac that this was not a good situation? I mean, at some point, I'm looking around, and Isaac even says, like, where's the burnt offering? Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's just like, just keep walking, you know? But, but what's cool here is he says that he straps the wood to Isaac's back, and they begin to walk up the hill to where the sacrifice is going to take place. Isn't it interesting that hundreds and hundreds of years later, that Jesus strapped wood to his back, and he walked up a hill to be a sacrifice? I don't know, I, it's just not coincidence. It's something that God outlined. Listen to this, verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? He's like, that's what I want to know. Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, just like God provided the sacrifice, Abraham said, listen, God's going to provide the sacrifice God provided the sacrifice for you and I. And all of this is being foretold hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. Listen to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. He was like actually going through with that. I, I, this is my thing. I, don't, I wouldn't have done that. There's no way. I would not have done that. And so he begins to, to put his son. The thing that's amazing to this, or amazing about this to me is this, people. Listen, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, his only son, his beloved son. And it's beginning to show us a picture of what's going to happen hundreds of years later. You know what's amazing? is in just a moment we're going to read where, where God allowed Abraham to spare his son, but God didn't spare his own. 
Isn't that amazing? That God loves us so much that he is so relentless in pursuing us that he wouldn't spare his own son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket of, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said today, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the, the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because Abraham didn't withhold his son. God says, listen, I'm going to give you the gates of your enemies. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was about to go and be sacrificed and die on the cross, he said, listen to me. If you'll obey me, if you'll get a revelation of who I am, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And because of his sacrifice, God has given us the gates of our enemies. God has given us victory over death and the grave. Jesus walked in, busted the gates of hell wide open and brought out the captives of which you and I were. And just like Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, God was willing to sacrifice his. And because of that, you and I have victory over our enemy, over Satan, over death. The one thing that, that we need to see here, the biggest thing, the biggest commonality in this scripture that I really want you to see is there's this thing in here called substitution. It's called substitution. Anybody remember when you were in school, some of you still in school, and, and you had a substitute teacher? Y'all remember that? Man, those were awesome days, weren't they? Like, because you knew, like, that the teacher probably wasn't real crazy about being there. And you knew, like, we can probably push her a little further than the others. And so people were running around. They're, like, moving, holding desks over the chairs over there. They're running around acting crazy, running around throwing spitballs, running around doing everything. Except for every now and then you get one. It was, like, one of the old school teachers who had just retired or something. And she'd come in. And you start moving around and like her head would start spinning around in circles. And she's like, sit down or I'll kill you. You know what I mean? She was like just, she didn't put up with that kind of stuff. And so she would substitute for the teacher who was normally in there. Why did she do that? Because the teacher was either out of town, the teacher was sick, something was going on. But whatever it was, that teacher was unable to fulfill her responsibility. That teacher was unable to do the things that, that she was, was hired under contract to do. The thing that we've got to realize about Jesus, the thing that we need to see when God provides the goat instead of Isaac, Abraham's son, the thing we need to see is that he was substituting a sacrifice for Isaac. The amazing thing about God is this, that when it came time for him to make a sacrifice for us, he did not withhold his own son, but he put him in our place and substituted him for us simply because we could not fulfill our responsibility. Impossible for us to fulfill the responsibility of righteousness that you and I have. 
Impossible. And so God said, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to put him in your place. Galatians 4 and 5 tells us this, that, that Jesus was born by a woman. He was born under the curse. He was born under the law, the same law you and I were born under, the same law that you and I can't fulfill. But the thing that God did was he sent his son who was born under the same law, under the same curse, so that he could break the curse. He could fulfill the righteousness that we couldn't fulfill. We couldn't fulfill our responsibility. So God sent his own son who would live a perfect life, who would give his life for us so that we could be made righteous in him. Look at Psalm 22. I want to read several verses to you, and then we'll talk about these. Psalm 22. So we need to see first in Genesis 3.15, God's proclamation and pronouncement of judgment on Satan. Genesis 22, 1 through 19, God's substitution of Christ in our place so that we don't have to die. We don't have to suffer the wrath of God. We're able to have our sin atoned for. Verse 1 of Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cried day by, by day. But you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To, to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near. And there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers evil encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. If you've read the Gospels and, and you're very familiar with them, you'll realize that verses 1, 7, 8, 16, and 18, they're all um, basically said word for word in Matthew chapter 27. Every one of them. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They cast lots for him. He was mocked. He was spit on. His hands and his feet were pierced. And we begin to see that hundreds of years before, the psalmist in his own lament and his own um, crying out to God begins to, to prophesy what would happen to the Messiah. And it would be easy for us to go, well, Jesus just knew what he said, and so he, all these things were done and written just to fulfill them. But you've got to understand, people, there were Jewish people there who wanted to make sure that this was not seen as God, that Jesus was not seen as God. And they would have done anything. If these were lies, they would have come up and said, they're lying, we were there, it didn't happen. But that didn't happen. 
And so Jesus begins to fulfill all of these things. The third point I want you to see is that in this prophecy, God, Jesus Christ, begins to identify himself with us. He begins to identify himself with us. He begins to put himself in our shoes. He, he begins to, to say, listen, I'm not going to just be a God who's distant from you. I'm going to be a God who understands you. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but have one who has in every way been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. We have a God who understands us. If you just begin to look at these, think about the times you felt this way. I mean, in verse 1, he begins to identify with us. He feels forsaken. In verse 6, he's despised. 7 and 8, he's ridiculed. He goes through feelings of despair. Uh, he goes through feelings of doubt as to the outcome. Anybody ever been there where you just wondered, how are things going to turn out? He tells us right here, I've been there. I know. Come to me. Why are you running from me? I'm not the enemy. I'm the one who died to save you. Come to me. I, I, I know what you're feeling. I know the temptations you have. I know what it's like. I, I know what it's been like. He went through 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by Satan. And then he walked away unscathed. He went all that time without anything to eat. I don't know about you, but I'm coming out pretty grumpy. Yet he identifies with us. He, he knows what it is to be in doubt or to be in fear. He understands pressure. He understands weakness. He understands temptation. He knows what we're going through. He identified with us. He was born of a woman, born in flesh and blood, so that he could break the curse that's over our lives, so that he could identify with our situation. But listen to verses 19 through 21. This is awesome. And i got to read this real loud because these are exclamation points. So you, you can't just read it like, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. No, that isn't what he's saying. He's lamenting through all this stuff. He's going through this time where he's just like, oh, I don't even know what's going to happen. All these people are around me. They pierce my hands, my feet, all of these things. But listen to this, verse 19. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God, I know you're faithful. I know you're there. I know that at the end, when it's all said and done, I win. I know when it's over, I get the victory. He's saying, I know what I feel right now. You know when Jesus was going to the cross. Listen, have you ever been to the point in anxiety where you actually sweated drops of blood? Didn't think so. Jesus did. And you think he doesn't know what you're feeling right now? He knows. And when he went to the cross, there was a time where he went through anxiety, where the sin of the world was put upon his shoulders and where he was, he was separated from his heavenly father for the first time ever. He knows. And yet the Bible tells us this, that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Pfft. What joy is there in the cross? None. You know what his joy was? The other side of the cross. The other side. 
Because you know what he knew was on the other side? You. You. You ever notice how Jesus never got really upset with sinners? But he got real ticked off with religious people who wouldn't allow him to, to minister to them, who wouldn't allow him to be their sacrifice. You know why? You know why I think he got ticked off? It's because he knew those are the only people I can't do anything for. The ones who won't come to me. He's bigger than sin. He overcame sin when he stepped out on the third day and everybody was like, ho, ho. And he started appearing to 500 people at a time. He went to Peter and he went to Mary and he went and saw them all. Listen, he overcame sin. The Bible tells us about that for thousands of years before it ever even happened. He overcame sin. The thing that we've got to do is come to him. We've got to realize that on the other side is joy. The only other side is victory. And that Jesus won the victory. And he did it for you and I. He strapped wood to his back and he climbed a hill, beaten and bloody, with the skin hanging off of his back so that you and I could simply come to God. And because of that, now you and I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that our sin has been forgiven. You know what's funny is is sometimes you go through things where, where... People just can't identify with you, right? They can't identify. Like, for instance, when Susan had either of our three babies, I can't identify with that. I'm sorry. There's no possible way. And, like, I wasn't even one of those people who was over there like, breathe. I just sat there, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do. I just like, I'm going to pray, and I I just sit down and pray. I mean, because I, I don't even, I can't identify. You know what should have happened if I walked up and I said, Susan, listen, I know what you're going through. And it's going to be okay. Just suck it up. Push a little harder. And after this, we'll go to Cracker Barrel. She would have, she would have been, you know, because I mean, it's like, almost like a woman giving birth. They're almost like demon possessed anyway, right? She would have killed me. I would have been hooked up to IVs after that. I couldn't identify. The awesome thing about God is he identifies. He knows. We have a high priest who understands, who's been tempted, who didn't fall. And now we have the same power of God that lives inside of us so that we can live a victorious life. Don't run from God. He's not the enemy. It's sin. It's evil. It's Satan. And he has been defeated. You know, one thing that I take a lot of comfort in and, and, and especially at this time. And I was thinking about this this week and, and I just really feel like I need to share it is, you know, no Christians ever lost a battle. When somebody dies of cancer, what do we say? Well, they finally lost a battle to cancer. You know, no Christians ever lost a battle to cancer. You know, you know, no Christians ever lost a battle to a car wreck. You know, no Christians ever lost a battle to any disease, to anything that came to them in their life. Because you know what the Bible says? To be absent from the body is to be present with God. We have never lost a battle. And when this tent ceases to exist, we go to an eternal dwelling. We don't quit. We don't die. We go to be with God. And then we really begin to experience life. Here's the thing I know right now, right now, my grandmother is about a mile away from here in hospice. 
And you know, I know right now she's taking her final breaths. I mean, you know, she's just at that point. She's 81. God's calling her home. I mean, I, I know it's time. There's a time when these bodies wear out. And this year in January, we lost my grandfather, her husband. A few weeks later, my grandmother, my mother's mom. Now, my grandmother, my dad's mom. But can I, I, I just, I got to tell you this. In my heart, there is no sense of finality. In my heart, that is there remorse? Yes. Am I going to miss her? Yes. Am I, do I miss my grandfather, my grandmother? Yes. But in my heart, there is no sense of finality because I know they have won the victory. I know that when she takes her last breath, she's going to go and be with Jesus. I know it's not over. I know if I walk out these doors and today's the last day for me, don't you cry for me. I'm going to be with Jesus. I just got to see him sooner than you did. My grandmother sang in the choir. She was, I remember when we'd go see her on Sundays, she'd always leave and, and my granddaddy would use us as an excuse so he wouldn't have to go. But she'd always go on Sunday nights and she'd go and, and she would sing in the choir and they'd have choir practice. Every Sunday night, faithful, every Sunday night she was singing and she always told me, son, this is our message. This is just like the preacher singing. This is our message to the congregation. And you know the thing that I think she's going to be amazed at when she gets to heaven and she sings with a heavenly choir. I just know there's something bigger on the inside. It's bigger than death. Death is not the final verdict if you are in Christ. You don't lose. We don't lose. We've won it all. Jesus has given us it all. We've gained everything. The last one, we've got to hurry. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. <clears throat> he, was, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our, our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But listen, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It, he has put, uh, put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, listen, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This was written hundreds of years ago. If you can't see the similarities of Christ with Isaiah 53, man, it's hard to miss that, isn't it? It's hard to miss realizing what, what, what Isaiah is prophesying hundreds of years before and what Jesus fulfilled. I want, you, I want to make sure you got these. Genesis 3.15, God's proclamation and pronouncement of judgment of Satan. Genesis 22.1-19, God's substitution. Psalm 22.1-18, God's identification. And Isaiah 53.1-12, God's righteousness. God's righteousness. I mean, this so clearly portrays the gospel. It says we all like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned. We've all messed up. We've all gone away from the Lord. We all choose our own way, just like Adam and Eve, just like they did, just like everybody but since them has done. We've all chosen our own way. And he says, yet he took our iniquities upon himself. He lived a perfect life because we couldn't. His hands and his feet were pierced. His blood was shed. His life was traded for our life. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could attain to the righteousness of God. So that we could have the victory. So that we could glory in God. So that we could make his glory known around the world. So that he could shine through us as we live in a relationship with him. I'm amazed at how fickle we can be as Christians and how, how easy it is for us to get offended if we don't get our way or we don't get something. Now I'm sitting here looking at God who was willing to come to earth, leave heaven, leave the angels, leave everything and come to earth and put on flesh and blood and tow a cross up a hill. And for us, we get ticked off if we get a little bit uncomfortable. And yet he died so that you and I could be made righteous. So that we could be the righteousness of God. He was pierced. Listen, all of these prophecies. It says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. You remember when John the Baptist, he's, he's there, he's been baptizing people. And that's why they called him John the Baptist. And he was baptizing people and and he looks up one day and he sees Jesus. And right in the middle, he just stops and he goes, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He recognized who he was. He knew that for hundreds of years, every word that had been written by the prophets and by the psalmist and by Moses was pointing them to Jesus. And today, guys, the one thing I want to tell you, and the reason I stand here today, and you got to hear this, I stand here today because I want you to have victory. I want you to know 
the victory that is in Christ. I want you to see that every word in this book points us to a risen Messiah. The Christ that died for us that we could have the victory. You can throw away a hundred billion or million billion chances if you want to. I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. Today, this is what I know, guys. You know when Abraham was called by God and he said, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice your son. You know what Abraham did? He got up and he went for the sacrifice. The thing I want to challenge you today with is this. God's made the sacrifice. Are you willing to respond to it? Abraham didn't wait. Abraham didn't think about it. Abraham didn't have to pray. He got up and he went. And my question to you today is, God has made the sacrifice so that we can have victory. Are you willing to get up and respond to the sacrifice? Are you willing to to get up and to go and accept what God's already done? To live in the glory of His presence. To know that no matter what tomorrow brings, I've got victory. Because you can know it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to question. When you come to Christ, you repent of your sins and you give your life to Him. You receive the Holy Spirit, which is a seal on your life until the day of redemption, until Christ comes back, which by the way, nobody knows. But are you ready? Today what I want to do is I want to pray for you. This is all I want you to do, right where you are, every head looking around, it don't matter. Listen, this is this is the church. This is the freaking church. If we can't do this here, we need to quit what we're doing. You need prayer today for something. I want you right where you are to stick your hand in there right now. Stick your hand in there. It's not going to kill you, I promise. All right, let's pray.